0: I was speed reading a book the other day about efficiency. That was a joke. Thank you! <laughs> That's excellent. Good start. I was speed reading a book the other day about efficiency, and it occurred to me, once again, how terribly inefficient God is. Let me explain myself before you start gathering your pitchforks and torches. Would you agree with me? that we live in a culture obsessed with efficiency. Like the 2001 hit, I know you all know, by Daft Punk, harder, better, faster, stronger. Maybe I should have played that as a praise of preparation this morning. We have come to demand, nay expect, instant everything instant photography, instant messaging, instant delivery services, and instant information available on almost any conceivable subject in the palm of our hand. A computer can do in seconds what once took a whole office full of people working collaboratively weeks to accomplish. Thanks to the explosion of algorithms and AI, no, I don't fully understand the difference, don't at me. Our smartphones and other tech devices can predict what we want before we even know that we want it. Harder, better, faster, stronger. If something is more efficient, we want it, and we want it yesterday. This is a sermon for you, David. Whole industries have been built on reducing inefficiencies in order to produce quicker results. I mean, that's how the invention of the washing machine started, right? Rather than spending an entire day or more hand-washing the family laundry, women could save time by putting it all into this contraption that would wash it for her. Fun fact, washing machines can also be used by men, so now everyone can do the laundry. But the washing machine is only one of countless labor-saving devices that we use every day to curb inefficiencies in our personal lives. Microwaves, dishwashers, Roombas, those little uh, robots that clean the floor for you. I'm masking Santa Claus for one this year. All of these conveniences save us time and effort. Why write out a grocery list with and paper when you can just shout, hey Siri, make a note. I'm also curious how many of your phones are about to record the rest of this message. (laughs) Your phone automatically records whatever you say out loud. Recently, please pray for me, recently I had to stand in line at a bank. Right? Can you believe? I had to wait in line to see a real live person because I needed to buy some pounds sterling for my trip to Scotland. I can't remember the last time I stood in line at a bank and spoke to a living being. You can do all that stuff on your phone now. At the grocery store, a half a dozen self-checkout machines means more customers get through in less time. No more pesky lineups. My kids check out their own library books at a similar self-checkout machine. We've invented machines that can do the farming for us, and cars that can drive and park themselves, if they don't explode on you first, with the added bonus of straining out human error. Less time wasted. Less output of effort. More accurate results. Harder, better, faster, stronger which got me to thinking, it's almost as if the inefficiency is us. Human beings are not particularly efficient. Someone should probably let God know. Here's what baffles me about stories like today's. Despite our complete lack of competence as a species, God continues to choose human beings as the agents through which God acts in the world. in today 's account, God has identified a major concern: the enslavement of the Israelite people. They must be liberated. Can we even conceive of how quickly and efficiently the creator of the cosmos could have been in rectifying this situation? One snap of holy fingers and the cruel Egyptian taskmasters would have evaporated, like a divine James Bond. Go in, eliminate target, drink martini. Mission complete. So quick, so slick, so efficient. Instead, God gives the job to Mr. Bean. I'm on one today, folks. (laughs) <laughs> really excited to have September behind me. <clears throat> and what's even more bizarre to me is this whole burning bush thing. There's a really cool cushion by the way with a burning bush on it up here. Check it out before you go. I mean, don't get me wrong as the official symbol of the Presbyterian Church in Canada as well as the Church of Scotland, I'm not quite fond of the burning bush. But as far as a means of communication, it's rather odd. God could have presented a business case with all the details and plans. Here's your mission, Moses, should you choose to accept it. Why a burning bush? Such a bizarre form of communication. Consider what any of us might do if we sauntered past a bush on fire, most likely run away, and probably call the fire department. Nevertheless, This is how God chose to solve the problem of 400 years of Israel's enslavement. By conscripting a fugitive, this is Moses, by means of a flaming shrub at the base of a mountain. Not the most efficient plan. Moses was tending his father-in-law's flock. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, also known as Sinai, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, but it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Okay, wait. So God doesn't call to Moses until after Moses turns and looks at the bush. So how long had God been waiting in that burning bush? Had others already passed by that day? What if Moses hadn't turned to face it? Thank goodness that Moses was both curious and easily distracted. ADHD representation. When Moses Turned towards the bush, then God called out to him. So not only does God choose to work through humans, God also always insists on getting our attention first and establishing a relationship with us, too. Over and over again throughout Scripture, we find evidence of this. It's one of God's greatest inefficiencies. It's waiting for human beings to turn and take notice. God could have taken care of the Egypt-Israel problem in the blink of an eye. Instead, God sought out relationship with Moses and his siblings as the method through which liberation would be achieved for Israel. Go to my people, Moses. I will be with you. Here's another thought experiment. I wonder if you've had a similar experience. Every time I've heard this story, it's been considered from Moses' point of view. Moses' response to the burning bush and to the commission he has received to go to Egypt. I've listened to countless sermons about Moses and his resistance to the call, for example. His listing of all of his flaws and failures and his excuses. And most of these sermons and most of these lessons end with this line. God doesn't call the... God equips the... No one? No one? God equips the call. I'm going to let all the preachers in my life know that none of this stuff is sticking. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. True. But this time, I crawled inside the story, and instead of looking at Moses, I looked at God. And I wondered out loud, why do you do things this way, Lord? Why work through people? Why try to capture our attention and invite us into dialogue and relationship? Why negotiate with us on the terms and conditions of the mission? Why humans, Lord, when we're so good at messing things up, even if our intentions are good? We are a pretty risky investment. If liberation and redemption of creation hangs in the balance. I looked at God and I wondered these things. And then I thought about you, about all of you, and I thought about me and all of us together. In Moses' time, it was the Israelites who were trapped in slavery, but our world today is still riddled with manifestations of enslavement, of people crying out for freedom, from human trafficking to sweatshop labor to environmental crises to the shadows of colonialism and the pressures of capitalism, God still hears the cries of creation and is still shouting out, let my people go. And I suspect that because God's method of liberation is human beings, I wonder if God is still camping out in burning bushes all around us. Figuratively and literally every day, Just waiting for us to turn and take notice. Burning bushes everywhere. Maybe we should be paying closer attention to news about wildfires. Look at this story not from Moses' point of view, but look at God's actions, God's values, and God's priorities. Any one of us, could be Moses in this story. A regular human just trying to keep his head down and tend the sheep, do his work all day, go home to his family at night, not looking for any trouble, not looking to rock the boat. But then God captures his attention, invites him into relationship, and then sends him out into the world as an agent of liberation. The Exodus story might be thousands of years old, But it's as real and raw and possible today as it was then. God is still trying to get our attention, still trying to draw us into relationship, and then still sending us back out into the world to break chains of injustice, to proclaim liberation for captives, and look the pharaohs and empires of this world dead in the eye and say, how dare you? If you step back from it, this isn't a story about Moses being a hero. It's about a God who chooses us, who chooses human beings over and over again. And not a God who just makes demands of us, but a God who genuinely desires to be in relationship with us throughout the process of liberation. Moses says to God, fine, fine, I'll go. But tell me what I should say to the Israelites when they ask me who sent me to them. And the divine name is then given. I am that I am. I shall be what I shall be. But, did you notice God gives another name? God says to Moses, tell the Israelites, actually, that the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. God identifies God's self as one who is in relationship with, who is in covenant with people. Not just the omnipotent cosmic God of creation, but also the God of Abraham. The God of John and Rebecca and Mary. The God of Christine and David and Roma. The God of Matthew and Alex and Susan and Connie. I feel like... Uh, when is that reading rainbow or whatever when she looks or whatever that show was yeah romper room thank you thank you the god of adriel and ariel and acadia and piper and emily i could go on god has a pretty long name actually your god my god the god of our ancestors the god of future generations this is how god wishes to be known as one in relationship with people, imperfect people. God wishes to be known as the one who is bringing the kingdom of God to bear in the world through people. Am I making my point clear? God has this relentless love for humanity, even though we're not always the most expedient, foolproof, or efficient way to get things done god is still i am convinced that god is still calling out from bushes and god is still inviting us to play a role in the liberation creation sure there are harder better faster stronger ways of getting it done but this is the way that god chooses to bring it all about by capturing our attention calling us by name And telling us to remove our shoes because this is holy ground exactly where you are. Exactly where you are standing. Whether it's here at Knox or in your kitchen at home or at work or picking up your kids after school. This is where God seeks to capture our attention. While we're tending sheep or balancing the books or answering emails and phone calls or digging up the street or collecting waste and recyclables, stocking shelves or writing a speech. And as soon as we take notice, as soon as we get curious, once we turn aside toward God, we find ourselves called by name and invited to participate with the creator of the cosmos in bringing liberation to our world today. It is not going to be quick or easy. It is not going to happen overnight, clearly. But it will happen. We will not each have the same experience that Moses had. God had a task for him, a monumental task, the liberation of an entire population from oppression and slavery. Perhaps our calling is a bit more local, getting to know the kids in your complex by name, meeting a recent widow for lunch every week, mentoring a new grad, serving a hot meal, visiting people in hospitals and in detention centers, writing to those who make and enforce policies to advocate for justice in the community, the country, and the world. It could be as simple as choosing to stand in line at the grocery store so you can talk to the real person at the cash register and be in relationship with them even for a minute rather than opting for the expedience of the self-checkout. None of these things are harder, better, faster, stronger, or efficient. But perhaps those things we hold in high esteem labor-saving devices, efficiency and quick solutions, maybe those aren't God's priorities. People are God's priorities. Justice for the oppressed is God's priority. Care and stewardship of creation is God's priority. And our assurance, time and time again, is God saying to us, I will be with you, always, even to the end of the age. God goes with us. Whatever the work to which God has called us, peacemaking, justice, liberation, compassion, care for the earth, it's shared work with God and with one another. So friends, slow down. Take notice. Turn aside and see this strange thing. Take off your shoes. Hear the call. You'll be amazed and what God can accomplish when we do. To God be all the glory. Amen.